Welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in the cybersecurity space about a career in this industry, specifically how to get into the industry, how to grow your career, how careers in this space are changing. My name is Gene Fay, and I'm the CEO of API security company ThreadX and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Ron Gula, who is the co-founder and president of Gula Tech Adventures and the former co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Tenable. Early in his career, Ron was a captain in the Air Force. Ron and his wife, Cindy, are doing some amazing philanthropic work, which I think our listeners will enjoy learning about. Ron has a very interesting history in cybersecurity, and I'm super excited to have him as a guest. Welcome, Ron. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you, Gene. I'm doing really well. I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you today. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you had an awesome weekend. We're, we're recording this on uh, Monday. I ran a marathon, so I'm going to stand up and uh, try to stay loose and not get tightened up. But we're really glad to have you on the uh, podcast today, Ron. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to, to chatting. And I think it's always interesting when I find people have hobbies like running marathons. I don't think I my knees could take it these days. <laughs> <laughs> I've run 57 of them, so I'm a glutton for punishment. So... Uh... Awesome, Ron. Well, let's jump into it, Ron. Maybe you could tell us just a little bit about you know, how you got into uh, cybersecurity. When I was growing up, my dad my father was an IBM field engineer, so I was always exposed to mainframes, big computers, electronics, had PCs growing up, so I always wanted to do something in there. But I eventually went into the Air Force to be a fighter pilot. I actually got into a fighter pilot school, wow. and it didn't work out for me. I had a very, very low G tolerance. I, I looked like I ran marathons, but I was pretty <laughs> thin. And that just got me back into computers, which I love. And I got to work at the, the National Security Agency in the mid-90s before people said words like cybersecurity. Cyber back then was a Doctor Who thing. You know, he fought the Cybermen and and uh, you know, maybe the six million dollar man with cybernetics. Everybody was doing information operations, information warfare, com- continuous network operations, all that, all that kind of stuff. But it really set me up to have almost a 25-year career in either breaking into computers or helping people to like prevent that from happening. Yeah, it's an amazing uh, start to career. And I, I think it's uh, one of those life lessons for the younger listeners. Like your dream didn't come out exactly the way you thought it was going to be. But uh, as one door closed, uh, another massive one opened up for you. And uh, I think we're a better world because of... Uh, your ability to become a, a cyber uh, leader in many ways. So thank you for your service, but also thank you for all the influence you have day in, day out in the cybersecurity industry. I appreciate that. And I'll just tell anybody who's on the outside kind of looking in, you're actually on the inside. If you can talk about cybersecurity and you're working for the government or a small company or you're in college learning cybersecurity, you're on the inside of the bubble. And it's a lot harder to communicate outside to non-cyber people these days than it is on the inside. And we need to do a better job at, at uh, making that a lot easier for people to understand. Absolutely. So I mean, you took kind of a government start your career, both in the military and then working for the NSA. So where did you get, I'll dare say, the courage to take the stability of a government job and decide you wanted to start a cybersecurity company? So I'm based in Maryland and Maryland, Virginia has an amazing tapestry of what I call government contract and government services, but basically organizations of various sizes who support the government's efforts. And there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of product management, there's a lot of 
you know, roadmaps and whatnot, but you don't have the same kind of approach as like a product led company where, where you're going to put the product first and not the, not the person. So I, I got to really ease into products. When I left NSA, I worked for a company called BBN and uh, they were the same people who invented like the routers and, and, uh, and, and, days, yeah. Networking. and, and we were doing rapid development of technology. We had a lot of customers who want us to basically develop software for them for a special purpose, very much stovepipe. If somebody ever says stovepipe, it's like you want to connect thing here with thing there and you need a, yet another thing in the middle to talk to it. And you, the only person you're ever going to sell that to is the people who have thing there and thing here. And you're never going to sell it to like more than maybe two organizations. I call that like stovepipe work, but I got really good at getting the requirements, getting the code out, understanding that. And it was very easy to quickly realize that the right way to do this stuff is to sell the same piece of software to a large number of customers and not rely on consulting. Once you make that leap of faith, it's pretty easy to, to, to get out and do that. So you had some early success with your first company. You were able to sell that. And then you started Tenable. And for those listeners that aren't familiar with Tenable, it's definitely one of the premier brands in cybersecurity. And if you're looking to work for a great company today, definitely go check it out. But love to kind of hear how you, how you ended up starting that uh, journey. The thing I like to tell people who come out of the government is that your government experience should give you confidence in recognizing a problem that needs to be solved. So after working at BBN, I went to US Internetworking. I was the director of risk mitigation, basically the vuln scanning guy and the intrusion detection people were all, they were all on my team. We were working with a product called ISS Real Secure. And we ran into issues where we couldn't change the rules fast enough. So we wanted to be able to write our own rules. This is well, well, well before Snort existed or Zeek or any of those kind of open source projects out there, and even before an IOC threat sharing industry existed. So we started Network Security Wizards. We wrote the Dragon IDS, Intrusion Detection System. And within 18 months, we had deployments at DoD, big banks, big telco. We had one of the first, hey, you can download the product for free, and it only does a few things. At the time, there wasn't a whole lot of enterprise companies that did that. And uh, so we, we really hit it pretty good. And I learned a lot of lessons there. I learned that, um, you know, we sold it, sold it for less than, you know, less than typical double digits, I'll say, you know, for an exit, this is mid nineties, late nineties. And, you know, I had a lot of VC come to me and say, oh, you know, we could have made that a hundred million dollar exit. And I always say, yeah, I would have made $80 million for them and 20 million for me. So why not just sell for something in that range now? Right. And, uh, but That's the guy, a much longer discussion, Ron, which we- Oh, I know, I know. But the reason I tell that story is that the company who acquired Network Security Wizards was Interesis Networks. And uh, Jack Hufford was on the M&A team. Jack Hufford and I eventually became the founders of uh, Tenable Network Security. Right. We started it and that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, it was uh, you were there for 14, 15 years? Yeah, 16. 16. 16. So wow. the, um, it's interesting. The bigger, in one year, I cut the cake for a Tenable having 300 employees and 400 employees, like within three months, four months of each other. And uh, so that was pretty interesting. At at one point, we had product on every continent, you know, which is kind of interesting when you think about every continent, you know, so it's, it has a pretty, pretty far reach, but, you know, tenable for folks who probably know the Nessus vulnerability scanner, there was a lot of things that happened during the, the, the journey of tenable. One was the technology 
that we had to work with kept changing over the years. And we were always ahead of that. Uh, we, we had Renaud Harrison, who was our um, was uh, the original author of Nessus. He was always like two or three steps ahead of the industry as far as what was next. Wow. And if you think about the 90s to the 2020s right now, we went from you know servers to wireless, wireless to virtual. We had mobile, we had MDM, and then we had, had cloud. And you know, along the way, you still had IoT, you still had shadow, you still had all these different things in IT. Tenable was usually two or three steps ahead of, uh, of what people needed. So that when they needed to do something with these technologies, we already had research done, we already had rules, we already had you know, compliance that we could audit against these things. And, and I really enjoyed that. I felt like Willy Wonka. We kept giving people what they needed when they needed it. And uh, that was exciting. Yeah, that's such an awesome run, and, and the company continues to do well. And again, for our listeners looking for a great uh, tier one company to go be a part of, I uh, highly encourage you to check out uh, what they have going on. Some great tech, some great people, for sure. So you went from uh, starting two companies, uh, successfully exiting them, and for our listeners, that's not the norm. VCs invest in 15 to 20 companies and expect 90% of them to fail. So Ron, uh, you know, great success. And, and, and the last one being a, you know, a massive success for the industry. So you went from there and, and then you started doing some investing and now you have your own fund. Like, how did you and your, and your wife make that transition to start deciding to be investors? So towards the end of our time at Tenable, we started doing seed investing. We did three investments, two of which I won't mention because we lost money on. <laughs> um, but the one that we did work with was Doug Uran's Freckrit company, which is which is interesting because we licensed that tech. And eventually when I left, Amit Uran came in and he's been doing a great job of Tenables. So, yeah. you know, the Urans have, have been uh, involved with the industry for a good bit. But we looked at this and we said, look, you always hear, oh, VCs invest in 20 companies, but only one hits. But so to do three and have one hit and actually make you know, more money and, and a difference at that time, sandboxes was like a new thing. And, mm. you know, uh, threat grid was doing more than, than that, but it was this birth of this IOC threat. So we were like, not only was it a good thing to invest in, it was very influential for the, you know, for the industry to do that. So we said, well, let's, let's do that. And we looked at a couple different models. We looked at incubation. We looked at like uh, foundry type stuff. We looked at uh, just doing traditional VC where we raise money from other, other folks. And we said, God's been good enough, you know, Tenable, we did really, really well. We can write checks that are rival, you know, kind of what a lot of VCs write. And at the same time, we also bring a lot of experience that having started a couple of companies and partnered with pretty much everybody across the industry to to do Tenable. So we said, let's do that. So we did that for a while, just my wife and I, and Cindy's her name. And we also did a good bit of philanthropy, but we treated philanthropy the same way that we did startups. When we met somebody, we would invest in them. It wasn't, uh, it was, we were kind of getting our feet wet, doing small investments, small grants, that kind of stuff. But very quickly, we were like, look, this is, this is a full-time job. We're going to treat this as a company. So we started Gula Tech Adventures mm. and we sort of formalized our funding, how we're the kind of investments we want to do. And we also formalized our philanthropy in the form of uh, competitive grants run by something called the Gula Tech Foundation. Right, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What we found is that Somebody comes and they ask us for uh, an investment in a company. We've got a whole process to put them through. We don't want to be competitive. We don't want to you know, do this. And there's a certain horizon you can have with that company. With a philanthropy, though, you're basically saying no to people who are doing 
volunteer work and, <laughs> and maybe you've seen like you you would maybe I wouldn't want to invest in a direct competitor to Tenable, but what about a nonprofit that's doing vulnerability scanning for like nonprofits in the city of uh, St. Louis or something like that? You know, you might get somebody, another nonprofit that's doing the same exact thing in Chicago and it's a separate nonprofit. So you sort of get this, I don't want to say it's like saturation on, on, but it was hard to focus and really give feedback other than, than that. So when we started the foundation, we were like, let's treat the nonprofits like companies put them through the same kind of questions. You know, what problem are you solving? How do you measure your impact? How do you measure success? Is it aligned with what we're trying to do at Google Tech Adventures? How we're trying to do things for cyber? And I've been very happy with that. And, you know, we spent some time speaking with Craig Newmark, spent some time speaking with the Hewlett Foundation. They had been the two sort of biggest funders of uh, cyber nonprofits. Mm. And uh, so I've, I've been pretty happy with, with our focus there. And Ron, when you say cyber nonprofits, so you and the foundation are focused on trying to help company help nonprofits to be better protected or use technology. Yeah, that's a great that's a great clarification. So let's say you have something like a, a food bank, something called the Community Action Council. They're all across the country. They typically do food banks loans for like nonprofits and stuff like that. They typically don't have a CISO or cyber, so we're not targeting that. We we love to talk to those people and try to them up with resources. But what we're really trying to do is target people who are educating people about cybersecurity, trying to get more people into the cybersecurity workforce ecosystem, trying to do things like, you know, do voting security. And then uh, we've even found a lot of schools, universities in particular, have MBA programs. And we're trying to kind of use those MBA programs to do like board level education. And you can imagine with just those four or five topics I talked about, there's entire tracks of let's do this for veterans. Let's do this for a nonprofit board. Let's do this for get to get more women into cybersecurity. Um, You know, so there's a lot of ways to do it. And the way we've done it is that we're going to do these competitive grants. We'll do a topic at a time and let the nonprofits come in or compete almost in the same way cyber venture capital companies compete for venture capital. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, I think the whole piece of understanding the mission, but understanding how to measure the success of the mission, I think is a real, uh, it's, a, it's a more innovative and it's, and it's tough because we all want to learn, but we also don't really want to just pretend everybody is a great and the best and the most impactful organization or startup. So a lot of times we'll get a pitch deck from a company and we honestly won't know if it's a nonprofit seeking a grant or perhaps a company featuring a, uh, a fundraise. And, wow. and that's usually when we come back with, look, you need a better pitch, you need a better focus, you need a better a way to differentiate yourself. And uh, so there's this thing we have called the five slide pitch deck that this is what problem you solve, how do you solve it? All right. You know, Do you have any notion of what you're doing? Is there a way you can prove it to me? What are you gonna do with the money? And then what does success look like for you? Yeah. And it's amazing how many people can't answer those questions in their personal lives, for their business, or for their nonprofit, or they answer them differently depending on who the audience is. Right, right. Yeah. If you truly understand your mission, it, it's consistent no matter who the audience is, if you really know what you're trying to accomplish. That's awesome. Well, I, I again, appreciate the idea that you guys are giving back. And I know that you and your wife have been a big, big proponents of that. And again, between starting the companies and then giving back in many ways, it's a uh, we're making a better world. And, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I would tell anybody listening, don't wait till like you're 
at a point where you can choose what you want to do and you know life life is easy once you're successful everybody can do something now and there's such a need for example cyber talent on yeah. the nonprofit boards there's such a need for a donation of technology if you look at the, the cybersecurity industry what they did during covid for hospitals mm. what they're doing for ukraine you know a lot of a lot of organizations are giving, right. Right. giving stuff like that so you can make a difference there's a lot of you can do and I would just tell them, don't worry about, oh, I didn't write a hundred million dollar check to this foundation. It's like if you if you see can make a difference, go make that difference. Yeah, no, well said, absolutely. So you tell us, you know, kind of, we've got a lot of listeners here that uh, excited about cybersecurity, but you know, they really, you know, maybe haven't quite decided they want to get in the field. So why do you think somebody should get into cybersecurity today? I think there's a couple, there's a couple reasons. First of all, you know, if you're a minority, if you're a woman, if you're African Americans, a lot of minorities out there, we're not doing a good job as cybersecurity people to attract these people. And if you think about it, you know, we're kind of telling people who are new to this field that in order to be to join cybersecurity, you've got to be an expert in everything: compliance, code security, malware reverse engineering, you know, asset discovery, all these things. And if you look at the minorities, you have to then, it's sort of like you're going into healthcare. And in order to go into healthcare, not only do you have to you know, overcome the barriers of minorities in that, but you have to become a brain surgeon. Right. So I tell people that if they want to think about cybersecurity, think about it in a different term. We call it data care, where you know maybe you just want to get in and be a help desk person. Maybe you want to be a router person. Maybe you want to do software code security. Maybe you just want to be the compliance officer for cryptographic control keys for a bank. Most of those people would never tell you, oh, I'm in the cybersecurity industry, right? They're going to say they're in IT, they're in that. Right, right. But this is what I think is one of the big fundamental problems with how we talk about cybersecurity. Now, of course, eventually these people are going to get into the field. Some of them are going to become the brain surgeon, right? Some of them are going to become the, the CISOs of banks or the founders of cyber startup companies. But most people aren't. They're going to have a good career. And that's the second thing we're going to tell them is that you can work from home. You get a lot of flexibility. You get to constantly teach yourself. I mean, there's very, very few careers out there where if something changes that you need to become an expert overnight, you have to teach yourself. And, and not right. only that, you should have time to do it. Yeah. You got to teach others. Quickly. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. And then the last thing is that, you know, typically we say, hey, come join this thing. Go defend this organization. And by the way, you're the only cyber person there. Go defend that organization from China and Russia. They might not listen to you, but it's still your job to prevent them from China and Russia from hacking. And so that's another way we're kind of messing up people because that's that's not really a good sales pitch to a lot of folks. We really need to kind of be mindful of that when trying to get people into the field. But man, it's an exciting time. It is. And I, I think you hit on a lot of great points that we've heard before, but they're worth reiterating. The ability to get in here is not to expect that, that you're going to know everything day one. Even you know if you're without a college degree, if you're curious and kind of willing to learn and put yourself forth, there's just so much information out there to allow you to gain knowledge. And then it's about getting your first job, and your first job doesn't have necessarily have to be directly in. It can be in help desk. It can be in you know an entry level position that allows you then to to gain the knowledge, the corporate knowledge then to go laterally into you know more direct cybersecurity types of roles. And then to your point, you know, whether you become a 
but CISOs always, they tend to tell me they're generalists. So whether it's you become a really good generalist at a high level, or if you become some, you know, really develop some very specific skills where you can go deep, it's a really great environment. And also it's that idea of that dynamic nature. I know that's what excites me about it. It's I've been in it 17 years and it continues to evolve. And it's not one of these things that just commoditizes itself down to the simplest point because the adversaries, whether nation state or crime or, you know, crime bosses, whatever, they continue to evolve. So we have to continue to evolve. And that's what I think makes this such an exciting industry to be a part of. And uh, I think that that's where, you know, people that might get overwhelmed by looking at a job description, which I think collectively you can all do a better job of if we want to attract people without the experience, let's not put the you know, purple unicorn expectations, all the things we want in every job spec. We did that recently. We put an entry-level position that said no experience required, and we got 2,400 applicants. So I think you know, companies saying they're struggling to find people, okay, yeah, if you're going to put 50 criteria on there, you are going to struggle. But if you're willing to train, which we all are now, I think it'd be really different. It's an interesting discussion because doing the investing on the cyber side and doing the philanthropy on the cyber side, we get a lot of different ways to look at this problem. One of our investments on the commercial side is Cyberary. Cyberary has got lots of free resources, lots of great courses, but there's like millions of people who've gone through it. And as a corporation, you can actually use it as a platform to give your cyber people a roadmap of what they should be doing. And that's this is something that's totally what's missing you know, for most cyber's career, what's my purpose? Where am I going? What should I be doing next? And then the nonprofit side, if you look at or, uh, organizations like Empower, Year Up, they have all, you know, won various grants from our uh, foundation a number of times. And they are working many, many different issues, whether it's, you know, inner city, trying to get people to go to college uh, who normally wouldn't go to, they can get into IT and cyber, or whether it's something like, oh my gosh, I didn't want to you know, just try to get like more women into the into the industry and whatnot. Those specific kinds of outreaches are doing. You're hitting different strings trying to solve that same problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the ability to encourage people to be a part of this, and you know, sometimes we apologize, but these are good paying jobs. So I mean, this is where you can build a career. You you can fulfill whatever your American dream is through a career in cybersecurity. Whereas some some places maybe the barrier is significantly too difficult to do to accomplish those types of things so but of course if you scan a website with tenable and fix those vulnerabilities then protect it with threat x <laughs> we're done right yeah <laughs> we wish, we wish. Yeah. i wish we, i mean it's great that you get that but that's a joke but I, a lot of times i kind of think our field is a little too if you do this you're done right we don't right. talk about this that this, this is risk reduction and it's a journey it's very much like healthcare, and yeah. you know you can take the vitamins get five square meals a day or a week or whatever, and and uh, still have to deal with something horrific like COVID or being right. susceptible to something like that. Cyber is such the same way. We need so many more people involved in this. And uh, so I'm just, I'm happy for the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today. Oh, that's awesome, Ron. I guess the last question would be like, you know, what's advice or additional advice you'd give somebody to get started? They've listened to the podcast. They're curious. You know, what are some of the resources or groups or, or things that you, when somebody calls you and, or somebody calls you and says, hey, my son or daughter wants to get into the field, where do you point them? Well, I would tell people, I'm, I'm going to answer that question, both as starting a company and getting into cyber. 
So the first thing, you know, I mentioned Cybrary. There's great, you know, organizations out there like SANS. You've got a lot of resources. There's more resources out there than people realize for becoming a expert, entry-level, journey person, whatever you want to call it. The barrier to entry is not as high as people think. There is this sort of disconnect between, oh, I, this entry-level job should have a P. The reality is what I'm, I'm seeing is that you should learn some specific skills and not try to be a generalist. So if you like networks and packets, you should do things with routers and firewalls and, and, and sniffing, right? If you like operating systems, maybe go into the help desk. If you like people, maybe go into the help desk. There's a lot of entry-level IT jobs that are really, really cyber jobs. People should target those. But then the same thing, if someone's thinking about starting a cyber company, because people are saying, oh, we have too many companies. The answer is no. The number of companies and the number of features they have being used by their customers is really, really low. So if you think you have a better way of solving a cybersecurity problem, protecting people, then by all means, start a company bring it out there. And I would just refer people back to my five slide pitch deck comments. If you think you can do something, answer those five questions and you can probably start a uh, cybersecurity company today. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Ron. And that, that as somebody who's been a part of four cybersecurity startups, at least three, it were some level of success. We'll see how we do on the fourth, but it's a great experience. I absolutely love the idea of I'm not the technologist in any of these companies, but aligning with technologists and being a part of that early journey of helping to figure out a, a new way to fix problems in this industry. And as, as there are many today, the industry you know, still needs additional people because they're, they're just that adversary continues to change and the, the way that people we need to protect companies and people continue to change. So I think that's, that's absolutely great guidance and, and to have you know, people like yourself and, and other uh, people investing in the industry, both from a profit or nonprofit perspective, is what allows us to continue to evolve. So it's a great, a great thing you guys are doing. And, and again, really, really appreciate it. So uh, with that, we'll call it a wrap. So that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Ron, for joining us and sharing your thoughts on careers in cybersecurity. Please join us next time for another episode of the Executive Security Podcast. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Thank you.